0: perfect for a moment to unwind. And so when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London Is Blue podcast, your home for all things Chelsea FC. Nick, Dan, and myself cover all the match reviews from the latest Chelsea matches. We cover the team news and even throw you some exclusive interviews. Thank you already for being an awesome listener. And you know what? Let's jump right in. And we're back, Chelsea fans, with another episode of the London Is Blue podcast. Bringing it to you from all over the country. We are about as spread out as we really can be. I mean, we've got Dan and Mike this morning. Nick, unfortunately, due to work travels, unable uh, to be here. Not going to take the low road and take pot shots at him like (laughs) other people. But anyways, Mike... Hanging out in the Pacific Northwest, uh, early match yesterday, huh?
1: Yeah, super early match, and I had a loaded day. I celebrated Christmas early with the in-laws, so I had a lot of baking and and cooking to do. So I was kind of able to, you know, roll with the punches and then move move on with my day a bit. You took quite a few punches in the morning, Dan. <laughs> uh, back to
0: flipping coasts. You're on the east coast, the southeast corner. This time,
2: yeah, you know, my uh, my Christmas wish is to travel maybe just a little less uh, coastally. So that uh, that probably will happen as things settle down. But no, it's nice to be on the east coast with family and friends and enjoying the the holidays, which I know Brandon, you're doing from uh, the middle of uh, BFE Iowa.
0: That, well, no, there's a city here. Okay, didn't grow up on a farm. Thank you, appreciate that, guys. No, it's
2: like Smallville, right? You know, car like uh, can't live you know, uh, down the road. Hmm. Probably in a
0: bigger city than you are right now, Dan. But anyways, let's let's not get too far <laughs> off the beaten path. Uh, Dan Levine is joining us, uh, a super super OG guest for us. So excited to have you back, Dan. How you doing?
3: Fantastic, thanks. Really good to be here.
0: Uh, We are so excited and we're looking forward. And this is just completely shameless plug on our part to seeing you uh, in London when we're there next week. It We're only six days away from being wheels down at Heathrow, thankfully. So excited to be there. Usually a great time sharing some curry with you, Dan, or something delicious that you've you've yeah. taken us to.
3: We always put on a big show for you when you come to town. When you come in, you'll see if you go to Stratford <laughs> Square, there's a great big tree there. That's just there for you. All those lights down <laughs> Oxford Street, they're not normally there. We put them for you. And, you know, it's, you know we, we like to make a bit of a show when you turn up.
0: Uh, the diplomacy is just top notch. We really do appreciate that. Uh all right well as we get into this uh Dan we continue with the iTunes reviews.
2: Yeah we had two this week and there might be more but actually there's a Apple uh, issue with podcast reviews displaying. And I can say that cause I don't work for Apple this Christmas, uh, or actually I didn't last to Christmas, but I can say that, uh, on, on air uh, but we did get two for Nate Karivs and red dude, 10 leaving some five star love on iTunes. And I know that we also did brand in, in the last week, uh, after we recorded, uh, both Katie and, uh, Vignesh also left us a little love on Patreon, dropping some, um, love there as well
0: yeah absolutely the the amount of support we're getting from this community is fantastic which is why here we are on december 23rd (laughs) across the country you know traveling to families and we're still doing it and i just want a a huge shout out goes to our our community uh, of chelsea fans that we've plugged into uh for your support because like i said Um, It's what keeps us going, especially after matches like yesterday. Uh, So with that being said, we are
2: going to roll a real quick ad. And after that, talk to you about classic football shirts. All right. So you're listening to this podcast right now. London is blue. And guess what? We host our podcast on anchor.fm. That's right. If you're looking to host your own podcast, this is the easiest free way to get started. This got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone that's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't wanna to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen.
0: All right, and on top of that, a huge reminder to those of you in London, we will be doing a live podcast from Classic Football Shirts in London. Uh, reach out to us if you are interested in that. Otherwise, for all of you, all of our beautiful listeners, you can l- use London Pod. On their website to save money. Genuinely super, super awesome uh, gear and clothing. And they just partnered up to do this kind of remember the shirt uh, campaign on BT Sport. Rio Ferdi was the first interview. It's on YouTube. Honestly, like from a fan's perspective, they're doing just awesome stuff that is not sent to commercialize us, but to like plug into what it is like us as a fan wants. So again, check it out classicfootballshirts.co.uk. London Pod save yourself some money. All right, and, uh, Brandon. Oh, and one yeah. other thing
2: that we should mention Ooh. just before we go, because you know they're they're taking care of the beer bill when we go do this live podcast, which oh, is going to be now everyone wants a really to be there. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, just 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 pointing it out. Um, you know, I think from they're also making sure during the live podcast event, they're gonna um, beforehand, they're gonna take all of their most of their Chelsea kind of allotment of you know kits and make sure they're there in their London location because they have a Manchester and London location. So uh, even if you aren't going for the live podcast in the day in or around the time that we're doing it, they're probably going to have more Chelsea stock in London uh, than they typically do because their warehouse is based out of Manchester. So a uh, really cool opportunity to uh, look at some of the classic stuff that they uh, have put together. So uh, very apt naming of, of the sponsor, but uh, yeah, check it out.
0: All right, we will do. And a quick programming note before we jump into the match reviews is that this will be our only podcast. This won't be a two part one, unfortunately. Um, spending time with their family. So we appreciate your understanding. We are going to try to get one more out post Christmas. Uh, maybe around the Watford or maybe some other special content. Either way, we're going to try to get one more out. Just want to help set expectations for this Christmas week because there's probably a lot of you traveling that want to listen <laughs> while you're in the car. All right, deep breath. I need to to bring it back. We need to focus for this match review. Uh, we'll try to keep it on track, but honestly, no promises. It was Leicester City in the Premier League at Stamford Bridge this past Saturday, December 22nd. In case you missed it, Blues 0, Foxes 1. I'm going to keep on moving from this, Dan Dormer, and I want you to punch through the lineup to kind of tee up our conversation for today.
2: Yeah, no surprise. Keppa Aretha Balaga starts in goal. We had the center-back pairing of Davo Luiz and Antonio Rudiger flanked by everyone's favorite Marcus Alonso and Cesar <laughs> Haspliqueta on the left and right flanks, respectively. Jorginho Conte and Kovacic made up our midfield three. And then Pedro William, uh, both flanked and Hazard as the uh, false nine. We saw a bench of Willie Caballero, uh, Zappa Costa, Gary Cahill, due to Christensen having a slight muscle injury, Ses Fabregas, Ross Barkley, Ruby Loftus-Cheek, and Giroud. We did see a 61st-minute double sub of Giroux and Loftus-Cheek. Uh, that's a, you know, you know, That was excellent. And then we had Cesc Fabregas at the 75th minute come in for Jorginho.
0: Dan Levine when you got the lineup sheet at the bridge, false nine for the third match in a row. Any real surprises for you upon seeing this lineup?
3: Yeah, a little bit, I think. Um, I think uh, a lot of people have obviously got their own frustrations with Chelsea's lack of quality at the front end. But um, I think a lot of people also expected to see something at least more direct tried for a team, as low in the table as Leicester are. Yeah, they're not a team that's that's gonna really worry about relegation, but they're the sort of team that Chelsea should be beating. So trying Hazard there as a, a false nine again was, was already setting some alarm bells off before the game started, I think for a lot of people.
0: I guess, so I, with the false nine thing, it's kind of, I thought people liked it. I thought this was a great thing. We used it to beat City, then we used it again, and we won. And then now all of a sudden people, I guess, aren't as happy. Is that just because, uh, I guess from your standpoint, Dan Levine, that it's just not the best way to engage an Hazard for Chelsea.
3: Yeah. I think I think that's a large part of it. He's obviously a man of very, very many talents and uh, yeah, I'm not going to knock his abilities as a striker. He can do it. And he's shown that he can do it, but that's not his job. You know, he's, he's a lot of people like to see or, or don't like to see square pegs in round holes. And, um, the way to get the best out of a player is surely to play him in his most natural position. Uh, of course, the difficulty is that we we don't have a naturally gifted, top-quality striker at Chelsea at the moment, I'm afraid, um, if only we did. But I, I'd just like to think that we had one good enough to play proper number nine against Leicester.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Um, Mike Flynn, as we run through the stats, Chelsea with 72% possession, 17 shots, five on target compared to Leicester's eight shots three on target 917 touches 692 passes back up to that uh you know you're gonna hate me now but sorry ball type style of play uh you know lester with 37 clearances chelsea with nine corners no yellow cards three offsides uh anyways it's just overwhelming amounts of possession probably you know 17 shots is is quite a bit i mean based on the stat sheet it seems like chelsea did more than enough to to win the match wouldn't you say
1: yeah i mean overall in watching in the watching the match we just we had the opportunities we just did not finish and i think what we're seeing this season is that if we're able to score two goals we win matches and when we're not able to score or i mean obviously but if we just get you know get one or we just don't show up we just really struggle you know everybody's looking at The Alonzo, you know, miss. But I think you know both William and uh, Hazard had very great opportunities early on that they kind of just rolled into the keeper. Um, We're doing what we need to do. We're just not being clinical. And I think when you look at you know nine corners and our inability, typically even to beat the first defender, we are we are not taking advantage of set pieces. And I think that's really biting us.
0: All right, well, let's go ahead and run through the goals so we can knock out of the way. 51st minute, Jamie likes to party Vardy. assist. James Madison. Um, I mean, this is, Dan Levine, pretty much your typical counterattack, right? They just caught us, spread out. Vardy found some space, turned a defender, and just smashed it home in the side netting.
3: Yeah, it was a bit of that, but um, you know, there are wider concerns here. and We've seen this quite a lot, I think, in recent weeks. The, um, the difficulty that um, Chelsea seem to be have, having in, in sort of comprehensively defending as a unit, they, they, I don't know what, where it is, where the, the minds melt all of a sudden, but uh, you, know, you see people running across each other in different directions, whether there's some possibility that the players are going zonal instead of actually covering the man. Um, whatever the case is, it's just not firing properly, and they are very, very leaky at the back at the moment.
0: Mike Flynn, resident center back. Um, I mean, that probably had been frustrating for you to kind of see that the team kind of fall apart in that situation.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's the classic trap. We knew that, you know, Lester kind of had one trick, and that's that's Vardy's speed. And, you know, you're going to try and, you know, play a long ball or catch us in the counter. Um, I think it kind of falls down to the possession that we're playing. Sometimes at the top, I, I feel we get lulled into the sense of, security and you see louise or rudiger um step up deep and like you know try and force a pass in and it gets intercepted and they're you know in in the opponent's third and it's really easy to put a ball up over the top and kind of catch us wanting um we have to do better
0: all right well let's go ahead and dig into it a little bit so the first after the final whistle dan levine um, you sent this tweet it was your your full-time match summary it said Chelsea 0 Leicester 1 uh, Vardy over fussy and directionless while level under committed and lacking gumption when behind this was poor from Chelsea should have been a relatively simple three points instead it is Sarri's first home defeat as Chelsea boss so I want to talk a little bit about the directionless part is that about the final third or more is like a team holistically?
3: I think it's a bit of both. Um, the final third is, is somewhere where direction has been repeatedly lacking for Chelsea of late. And we covered the business about there, there not being a quality striker there. Um, people are so much passing to the side, you know, and, and I think people are getting a bit fed up of this, uh, you know, just almost passing by the tongue uh, all, all, for, for, for no perceptible gain. But um, I think that the lack of direction in the team as a whole is a little bit of a concern at the moment. Um, We've talked a lot about Sarri Ball as the season's progressed and what we're expecting to see. I'm not really sure what Sarri Ball is at this stage, I've got to be honest. Um, But what I do see is a team that is playing it less good than they were at the start of the season. And that's a real worry, I think.
0: Dan Dormer, the other Dan, a little Dan-to-Dan action. Um, What are your thoughts on that? What are you thinking from... uh Sorry ball. I've seen a lot of stuff on Twitter about what the hell sorry ball even is. If it can even produce an end result, I don't. I think there's just a lot of questions being asked right now.
2: Yeah, and you know, I think the the vertical tiki taka, which is the the basis for you know what sorry's possession game and movement of the ball, is. And you you know go back and look at these Napoli highlight videos from. You know, the past one, two, three seasons when Sari was in charge. And, you know, there there were times that Jorginho was you know, able to be a little bit more flexible going forward with the ball. And part of the problem is not having a focal point or focal points of the, the attack and the, the forward realm. You know, Leicester were very happy to allow us to move up and down the flanks as they did in the match against us. So... You know, and it was just a a little annoying when you know you have two two banks of four that are defending in fantastic shape. I think the credit to to Leicester has to be there and Claude Puel for maintaining a, a level of rigidity that just absolutely you know stifled the attack and made it so when it got anywhere near. The, uh, the outside of the box, that there was really not a direct way forward or a path into it. And uh, we were just, uh, you know, it's another kind of opportunity of just being really wasteful with, you know, what we kind of were putting together. When you think about the fact that. You know we've you know scored the third most goals uh, this season, tied with Arsenal for goals from inside the box. Uh, if we can't get inside the box, we're usually not scoring a goal because we've only scored four from outside the box, and uh, that is uh, fifth place in the the league. So if we're thinking about how we go from being. A fourth place team to a third place team to challenging for second or even first, Mike. There's a couple things that we have to address, and one of those is how do we get the ball into the back of the net when it doesn't work on maybe necessarily the ground or getting it to the piece of being inside the box.
1: Yeah, you know it's funny. We, you know we're playing a false nine, but for, it seemed like for a good chunk of the game, you know I was watching crosses get whipped in, and it's just like. In, in what world are we going to have Hazard or Willian or, you know, Pedro, you know, out, out jumping West Morgan, you know, it, it's, it's like sometimes out of desperation, we're just doing something to do it instead of, you know, making a better pass. Or I feel like very often this year, we, we've lacked another runner going toward the back post. And I feel like just too often we're, just trying to just pass that ball around inside the box and it allows teams to you know just be compact in their defense and you know uh, we're just we're playing into their hands uh,
2: well and and you saw, and I think it's made its way around Twitter uh, enough times now. The photo from the match yesterday, where Eden Hazard is basically surrounded by three to four to five Leicester City, uh, you know, players. Uh, we could call them maybe all defenders in this capacity. But the way that he basically, and there was no other you know need to kind of do anything to anybody else. If Eden Hazard is your top goal scorer and your most lethal threat on the pitch, is just he was magnetic for and really the the focus was to snuff him out and to not allow him the opportunity to do his you know work his christmas magic and you know it showed it showed that there was not a alternative a good alternative outlet that was going to take a little bit of that pressure on you i think about in american football you have you know a couple wide receivers on a team if one is so exceptionally better what tends to happen is the opposition team will just Place all their emphasis on making sure that two or three guys are making sure that that person doesn't get the ball, and then what happens after that? And and that's what happened today. There was not really a good alternative. And when the people who did have the alternative, like William, um, squared up their shot, it just wasn't it wasn't clinical enough.
1: No, you're right.
0: So I have a question a little bit, and uh, you know, Dan Levine, I we know from experience that watching in person is a very different match than what we see on TV. Uh, Partially because of replays, partially because of, um, you know, being in the grounds, you get to absorb a lot more. My question, you you really get to see the full picture the entire time, which we do not. So I'm wondering, maybe optimistically, do you think that Chelsea just aren't seeing the attacking opportunities that Sari's system creates because they're so used to playing something completely different? Do you feel like Man City are able to kind of pass in behind teams because they've been doing it for a while, Well, Chelsea still haven't figured out how to create that final chance once they get into the final third, or is it a little bit, just doesn't work?
3: But, um it's, it is a difficult question, and it's one we'll, we'll no doubt look back on in, I don't know, six months, a year's time, when when we know what's going on a little bit better one way or the other. There were reservations raised, of course, before Sarri arrived about the suitability of his methods to English football, his his system. Uh, and of course, we all know that um, uh, it's, although at Napoli it looked fantastic, it's never actually won every, anything at all. Um, it's the, My main concern at the moment is, as I, as I touched on earlier, that, that they don't seem to be getting any better at it. If you look at the way they played in the opening few games of the season, they actually look pretty good in some of those Um, and if you take out the game against Manchester City which was a triumph of doing things slightly differently and a a rather different system um, then actually since about Everton things have been going downhill the performances have not been great since then and actually Chelsea have looked less and less adept at playing Surrey ball now that was the 11th of November so that's six weeks ago um, and they need to turn a corner, really, and they need to start getting used to a system that that, that that they they've basically been charged with playing for the rest of their natural, you know.
0: All right. So moving kind of along that direction, though, as well, the other thing I've seen a lot, Mike, is the the players, which are also a big part of the system. Um, so I guess where do you fall in the argument of is it the players? Not being consistent enough or playing to a high enough level or maybe even being good enough versus no, it's actually just a system. Even if we had better players in January, this system is the issue. Um, do you think that if we had better players, there would be or I shouldn't say better players, right? If we had different players that really align with Maurizio uh, system, do you think that we could execute this better?
1: Uh, for sure, hands down. I, I think, to me, we are missing a focal point in uh, a striker that can can really score goals, and we're we're not getting the production from Morata or Giroud that we need. And you know, I, you know, maybe this, you know, people will, you know, hate me for the saying this. I, I don't think we played that bad yesterday. We did everything we needed to do to win, but not getting, you know knocking two goals and i think that if we had someone that we could you know center the attack around that was you know lethal in finishing we wouldn't be having these discussions we wouldn't be having these problems because you know what we would occasionally concede but we would just outscore our opponents i feel like when i watch our team play it reminds me of you know uh you know some college basketball in which uh a smaller team doesn't have a big center that, you know, they can't compete with Duke. So they just pass the ball around the, you know, the key, you know, sideways trying to like get it in and it just doesn't work. We, we slowly pass the ball, you know, 10, 15 yards to the next person. And I think the difference between us and city is that city have the offensive players that know how to unlock and take that ball inside. Whereas, you know, sometimes we have, Players who just don't know what to do with the ball. Conte at times looks very uncomfortable as to, you know, taking that ball directly into the box. And he typically will push it, you know, to the right or the left. I feel like, you know, even Dave sometimes doesn't know, like, do I just whip in across? It feels like we lack the knowledge or the direction as to how to break down teams. And I think we're falling victim to having way too much possession and teams just fall back, play D, and know that it's a really good way to catch us on the counter. And if they can, you know, withstand, you know, our poor attempts to get the ball into the box, then they'll be fine.
2: So I, I will counter a little bit of that and say that ultimately there was a period in you know, the first half was played very well. and I think the moment after Lester scored is when it just completely crumbled in the <clears throat> idea of the structure and the attempts at putting together a true response was missing and lacking. and I know that you know sorry has kind of mentioned the mentality thing, which is not necessarily the best argument to kind continue to go back to uh, time and time again but I think where he has been let down just a touch to say some of it does belong on the responsibility of the player kind of comparative to the manager the manager has to or the coach has to set the team up for success and putting together the right game plan so there's some thoughts around should we play more like we did against Man City to you know and and try to replicate that type of approach to a match but you know if you look at Man City 50 goals, 332 shots, about a 15% conversion rate. Uh, Liverpool have about a 13 and 14% conversion rates on shots, and you know we have had the second most shots in the Premier League this season, 298, just shy of 300. Uh, then we have the fourth most goals at 35. So there's definitely some, you know, it's, it's just above 11%. So there's an opportunity for those on the pitch to convert more and to you know miss kind of less big chances were the second most in terms of big chances missed this season uh only Wat- um watford have had more big chances missed so there's just it's it can't both be failing. It can't be just the manager or just the players. Like it's a cohesive, it's the whole package right now needs a little bit of tinkering. And I just, you know, my only fear, Dan, is that it's happening at probably the worst time <laughs> with all the matches that are coming up. And I don't say that it's just we're going over there and we'd like to see Chelsea win, but with how quick in succession these matches are gonna be, that I would have rather had this type of tinkering required at the beginning of the season rather than in the, the Christmas fixtures.
3: Yeah, this, this is a real crucial time for any campaign going into Christmas. And, you know, there's so much being written about how seasons have been won and lost over the Christmas period. Um, there's been a lot of talk in the last few weeks about players who are perceived to be underperforming and how maybe they should be benched. And I think there's something more important that can be benched, and that's maybe the system. Uh, I, we've seen this before in a side where, they're trying to do something that's very complicated. It's a little beyond their technical ability. It's a bit a little beyond um, the, the, the development that they've reached with the manager. And sometimes it's better just to revert back to something they're more familiar with while they, they train up maybe in the background on a, on a more advanced system. And of course, it's been done before. This is exactly what Antonio Conte did in his first season with Chelsea. He had a, a new system that he wanted to bed in. But for the first few weeks and months, he got them playing the way they were used to. Um, and, of course, we all know when he switched to the system, when they were properly trained up in up, up in it, how successful that was. They went on to win the league. I think the priority now has to be just in getting the points on the board and getting the results. And maybe Sarri Ball should take a bit of a backseat in that.
0: So this is kind of a dumb question, but, like, Can he like, would he, it it seems so against like the whole reason we signed Maricu in the first place. The other thing, like I remember at the beginning of the season, the players were like, Oh my gosh, football is fun again. I love this. He just lets us play freely and it's fun. Um, I think that that's kind of gone away, which also reminds me that, you know, what's the most fun winning, winning trumps everything. And if you're not winning, just like what has happened a little bit recently, this is where all the questions come from. I mean, it's just kind of a, a weird thing. I think that there probably is a lot of fatigue in the team, Dan Levine, and I think that he still hasn't really rotated unless we've already, you know, guaranteed progression through a cup competition. Do you see? I mean, we were just talking about it before we jumped on. The amount of matches that are coming up in the next 10, 11 days is unheard of. Surely, uh, He's, you know, we're going to see more Emerson. We might even see Maratha. We might see Callum Hudson-Odoi. Maybe even in a rare appearance, Ampadu. But for sure, Christensen and probably one more send-off for Cahill before he goes on loan.
3: Yeah, well, it would be it would be good. I mean, those those games, as I say, come thick and fast. It's not just over Christmas. If you look at what's coming, the games are Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday. Tuesday or Wednesday, Saturday. You know, bang, 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 like that. Um, and the rotation hasn't really been there. Um, it would be good. It would have been good, particularly against Leicester, to maybe have seen Hudson Odoi in there. Um, but the rotation just doesn't seem to be there. And, and the worry is um, that I don't think that the manager necessarily trusts or rates the players he's not using. Um, we've seen this before with. I, think, I don't know if it's necessarily limited to Italian managers, but it's a hallmark often of them that they like to work with a very, very small group of players. Conte was similar. You know, if he could use the same 11 every week, he would. And Sarri is now starting to do that. But I don't necessarily know whether he's used to the, the, the unique demands of English football and how many games they are and how quickly they come. There's no break here. You know, this will go on two games a week for basically months to come. And the, the, the you know the, the, the squad will not be able to put up with that unless he rotates.
2: And I think my hope would be is that you know obviously he's got a assistant in Zola and there's an institutional knowledge of the league around him that hope you know hopefully will shepherd him appropriately in that type of rotation. We have seen I think a few instances of it, particularly in the midfield. I think the attack is where he's been a little. Um, in defense has been a little more reluctant to rotate there. I think, you know, with the midfield he doesn't, or hasn't found the perfect three in his mind, even though I think, you know, some fans, uh, many fans will tell you they know what the perfect three is um, <laughs> because obviously fans are not yeah, not unwilling to share their opinion but, you know, I, I think I, I mean, I, I guess also maybe structurally, you know, with um, you know, Murata not firing on all cylinders and Giroud really not adding goals obviously does well with assists that you know some of these I think are maybe a tad forced by the the players but I think to the point you made too Dan that you know we've we've seen Callum Hudson-Odoi shine bright we've seen him put pace into a situation and that sometimes makes up for a little like really allows the ball to move at the rate it needs to for unlocking this system and we're just not seeing maybe the right players on the pitch at the right time and uh it's causing a little bit of a a, a little bit of a men- that's i think attributing to that mental breakdown too.
3: Yeah, and, and it is a little bit disjointed isn't it um for 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 those reasons the way they they, they play together Sarri was asked after the game about this uh and uh, he said that his side was suffering from mental confusion which um is in itself a little bit of a worry because you know if he can't get over the intricacies of his system, then that is basically what his Chelsea career will live and die by. But there was something else he said that worried me even more than that. He was asked what the problem was. And he said, if I knew, I would solve the problem before this match. It's difficult to understand, he said, what the problem is. Now, I've seen managers say this before, and it's normally not long before they're out the door. I don't think we're talking about that yet with Sarri. We're a little way off that. But he's got to get his head around what the problem is. And if he can't solve it, then you know. Ultimately, he will go the same way as everyone else who couldn't solve it.
0: Well, again, not trying to uh, uh, go in that direction by any means, but as you guys kind of mentioned, that tends to be where we go from this time. It's it's early days. Um, if you had to look at one thing in January, it seems like this will probably be unanimous that we can only think of having. Um, we can only think of having a striker. As being the quickest fix, is there any other position that we think is more important than a striker at this position? No.
2: Is that was that an open question, Brandon?
0: <laughs> it was <laughs> I'm trying to figure out if there's any other like strategy or hints. I mean, the biggest, the hardest problem though is you can't get a striker in January historically. Um, I don't know what the best transfer. Option is heading into da- January, Dan.
2: Um, yeah, it's going to be tough, and I mean, obviously, you know, we talked with Joe Tweeds last week about the idea of you know if a transfer ban does come, what that means and what it looked like for Real Madrid and what it looked like for atletico Madrid, to you know larger clubs like, like you know kind of we're in that category, and how that really can just affect things fully, and so you know with the club potentially preparing for something like that with one eye on the summer and maybe thinking you might not get the opportunity to do it. You know, is the, um, you know, the Brexit alternative of like Callum Wilson and paying extra for him, uh, and his multiple ACL repaired, uh, ligaments. Is that really what we want to go for? Is that really the standard rafter? Uh, there's been the Higuain rumors that will never die as long as sorry is at Chelsea. And, uh, you know, I think i I expect that to be through the season personally, but, um, yeah, I, I just, it's not great. It's not like there's a bevy of really fantastic options, Mike, that we can just, you know, go, you know, we're going to shop the best option, like the best store and the best market. And it has all of the wonderful, you know, produce and, and meats and cheeses that are fine imports from around the world. You know, this is more of the, like lead up to Christmas Eve and you need to buy the stuff for dinner. And there's like five things left in the, the aisles and you better hope that that one matches exactly what you need. Otherwise you're a uh, square, you know, square peg round hole as Dan Levine said earlier.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, fancy's great and it's nice. And you know what? Um, our, uh, Spanish stallion has not played well. Giroux mm-hmm. is, you know, kind of doing what he did in the world cup, but he doesn't have, you know, a second striker to, um, uh, be able to work off of and, you know, set up. But, you know, I think that, you know, obviously the priority has to be a striker. But then I think we have to then shift our focus to the right wing. Um, when you consider that Willian and Conte have the same amount of goals uh, and I believe assists for us this season, um, there's a real issue. Um, because, you know, Conte obviously stepped his game up in the last few matches. Um, and I just you know, we're scoring goals from the left. We're not scoring goals from center. If we're if we're working on that, then we need to shift our gaze to getting more goals out of, you know, the top three attackers. And I, I think, you know, if we can't if we can't upgrade at striker, then we have to upgrade at right wing and bring in somebody who can bring in some more explosiveness, or maybe some speed, it's something that's going to have to pull defenders away from the left side to open up Hazard. Assuming that we're not playing a false nine the whole time, um, but yeah, I just you know you know as, as what people want to say and, and kind of rip on you know Callum Wilson, he looked he looked strong and up for the match when we played him this week. And um, he looked more into a game and stronger than I've seen Murata play this season. So um, if he can get in and and get a job done, you know, he might, you know, a a decent striker might feast off of all these opportunities. When you're looking at 70% possession and 17 shots, if we have somebody who can actually, you know, put a, a shot on frame as opposed to, you know, shooting the ball out of the stadium like we have um I think we, we could see a huge difference in what's going on. We could take the pressure off. We get the early goal. We follow that up with a second goal. And then we're talking about playing matches the way City does, where teams are out of it, you know, with two goals in the first 20 minutes. That changes the dynamic of games. And I think that, you know, I I think that sorry and the system have struggled a bit, but I think there are relatively easy fixes as to how to proceed. You know.
2: Yeah, I, I just hope that we don't mistake a puffed out chest and uh sighs of exasperation from Callum Wilson as fight. <laughs> because I, I actually think that he was just just a bit depressed as a little bit of a attacking outlet for Bournemouth in the midweek. So I, I wouldn't I, I think and you know maybe Dan Levine can offer his opinion. I, I don't think he's the right solution. I think he's the stopgap solution we continue to see in versus you know buying smart, you know you're we buying kind of in need and that sometimes desperation just puts you with the wrong player now on a three, four or five year contract and you have a harder time exercising, yeah. excising yourself from that than you would if you just waited to buy the right player.
3: Yeah, looking at Bournemouth, um, he he looked okay, and I think and I, I agree with your um, assessment of him there. He's, he's he's not necessarily the right the right man for the long term. But I thought both of the the Bournemouth front men looked fairly fairly much better than anything that the Chelsea have got at the moment. Uh, at least Mousset was 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 pretty handy himself as well. Um, the the difficulty is that January is by its nature a distressed market. If you're looking for a big key player in January, then you're in trouble and so therefore prices are hyped. And also, of course, it's a time when availability is is shortened. Nobody really wants to move club in January. Players, particularly strikers, need a bit of a a pre-season to get into a system and to find the the, the the culture of a club and to get the best out of the coming games. So nobody really wants to move in January. And if they do, they tend to be in a bit of a state. So Chelsea need to be careful not to make silly decisions, as they have done in the past, of course. you know The, the, the most notable one being um, the enormous amount of money splurged on Fernando Torres um, seven, eight Januarys ago. Um, in a lot of ways, maybe a player... Like Callum Wilson, one with lower expectations, one you know who who isn't a big name striker, I think would be a far far better bet than say Higuain, who's thirty one and has never really been tried in a, a league with, a, with a, the you with know, the the uh, the absolute uh, increased levels of demand of the Premier League.
0: Well, I mean that's we kind of made our we, we made the best decision we could two summers ago. Picked up Moranta, not Lukaku. Don't need to get into kind of that, and and Chelsea did make a play at a long term striking option. It seems like it maybe hasn't panned out, and January is not the time to fix it. It just isn't. It's it's never a good moment. Uh, Dan Dormer, you've got um, you've been good at putting Chelsea's expected goals, uh, the the shot map on in our scripts lately. As you can see, Chelsea with some. Good opportunities, some decent opportunities, and a lot of just other opportunities in there. And it's just look, when your striker or other people on the team aren't scoring, it's really obvious and it creates a lot of other issues. If you're up two-nothing, three-nothing, Lester get one back, it's not a big deal. But the problem is we weren't. We were not winning, and therefore it creates a ton of issues. And that's Look, that's why they get paid the mo the biggest salaries is because if you can find someone who can do it week in, week out, uh, who can essentially have a, a, a one about a about 0.75 goals per match uh, ratio, you are doing something really, really good. Just don't have it right now. I mean Diego Costa, missy, bud. Hey, I think yeah, he's, I mean, available. he's he's
2: he's you not know, doing great <laughs> he's not doing great right <laughs> now for Madrid either and he's been a little bit of a uh the, the bad Diego that we've typically come to see not good Diego yeah, it's um, Griezmann's fault He's not yeah, standing sure. up for him sure we'll blame it all on on Griezmann and he can take responsibility for it uh you know, just like we can blame someone else you know anyway Seth Bavergas wasn't getting him ball what you know, Antonio Conte was sending him texts whoever it is um never his fault but all right when we look at the expected goals yeah i mean the expected goals was 2-1 in chelsea's favor to 0.9 for leicester um you know hazard off the bar William on basically a tear and you know could have just squared a shot up Uh, alonzo off the post again and actually now has the most shots off the post this season in the premier league uh so talk about just the opposite side of the coin is where Chelsea have tended to land if if you're expecting a shot to go in uh, you probably should expect it to do the opposite and then be pleasantly surprised at this point when it does make it uh, into the net and yeah I mean I generally thought for the first 45 minutes that we were very much in control of the game we had Leicester City Pressed back into their box. They weren't making much in terms of forward runs. We were sniffing things out appropriately And the moment that goal happened it completely Just eroded it and I think credit to Rudiger who is the one interviewed after the match who just talked about how it wasn't good enough and it was unacceptable and I have a general feeling that the players understand in some capacity the level of gut punch that this is and you know will respond accordingly you know they've got some really good opportunities to do this uh versus Watford which should be a little bit more of a, a free-flowing game they've played a uh, you know very nice style of football recently you you see you know, Southampton obviously is not going to be a pushover in the fact that uh, new managers come in and they've got a little bit of positivity going so you know these next two matches are a great springboard you know Dan to return to form and to find something that works. And I think as long as the players understand, you know, their remit, the, you know, which is to execute on the plan and hopefully, you know, try to convert occasionally and the manager is willing to be a little flexible with, you know, his ideas or, you know, to work with the team, then I think we should be able to restore that form. But I think the biggest challenge is will they be able to do that in, in such short fashion?
3: It's funny, I was talking to um, some friends in the pub after the Man City win and uh, it was generally agreed that it would be completely in keeping with everything Chelsea usually do to beat Man City and then to go and lose to Watford and Crystal Palace. Um, I don't want to put a down on it and I'm not making that as a prediction, but I think a lot of people recognise that as a bit of a hallmark of this club sometimes. Um, Watford and Palace, of course, are two places where... Chelsea had real, real stinkers last season, and they will be desperate to turn those things around. But, you know, with two games in very, very tight succession, Sarri was, was very, very keen to say after the defeat to Leicester that he wanted to get his players back out on the pitch and he wanted them to be learning and correcting all the things that they were doing wrong. Then they've got some fast learning to do over the next few days, including, I would have thought, probably training on Christmas Day. So... It's a tough old week for them. Um, this is where they earn their money, and, and you know, handsomely paid they are for it, of course.
1: And and Dormer, I think part of the problem that we're facing as a team is, you know, you say first half we were well in control. I, I think that's the I think that's the issue. That's the illusion, you know. So so maybe we're controlling the ball well, but it's a zero zero game. We're we're not in control of anything. We just have the majority of chances, and I think that. We fail as a team to realize that even if we're maintaining that 70% possession, there are still plenty of opportunities for the opposing team to get decent shots on goal. And and that's all you need to to, get, to put one in the net, right? Lester had five shots or eight shots, five on net, and, and got a goal. and I think we just have. I think we're falling for this arsenal-y mentality that well, we had the majority of possession, so we you know we deserve to win, or we we have you know we're, you know that's not how you win matches. Possession is is meaningless unless you do something with it. And I think we we overinflate what we're doing with a bunch of mediocre short passes that that don't lead to anything. And I, I think we just at times the the mental um sharpness is not there because we're kind of doing this like oh yeah we'll we'll eventually get something and it's that's not a killer instinct that's not what we need we need to have the ball we need to do you know we need to press it and score with opportunities instead of saying we're going to have 70% chances so you know you know maybe we'll do something with it later i think that's the difference between what we saw with city we knew that when we played city you had to take your shot because we weren't getting more than a handful of shots against them, right? And we put those away. And here I feel like against lesser competition, Dan, you know, Levine, you might disagree with me, but I feel like we just have a malaise. We just feel like most likely we'll get more opportunities. So, hey, if I miss this one, it'll be okay because we'll get the ball back.
3: Totally agree, um, and the, uh, the the worry is that that possession becomes an aim for the sake of possession, and and you're right in saying that that, that is a very Arsenaly trait uh, under under Wenger. Um, it's you know many many people will will, will of course be aware of the, the the most famous game in this club's history, and it was a game where Chelsea had something like twenty percent possession, who might have even been less than that, and of course it resulted in them winning the European Cup. Um, I don't propose that Chelsea play every game like that. We None of us would have any fingernails left and we, we'd, all, we'd all have goodness knows what uh, going on in, in our hearts and our heads if, if that happened every game. But, you know, possession in itself is not an aim. It can't be just dead possession as an aim. There has to be some creativity there and that's what Chelsea are lacking right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, but ultimately, you know, we had possession that led to, you know, five shots on target, 17 total shots. I, I think they're is a case to be made that you know you have so much possession that you're not kind of you're you're becoming complacent with the fact that you're going to get another shot but i think you know in in my mind still i will defend the fact that the first 45 minutes were played very well and outside of you know two pretty distinct chances you know hazard and William. Um, there was not much going in the direction for Lester in in that first half. Any type of counter was really snuffed out. The ball was recycled well, and we were able to go and go again. And that really, it was a a total Jekyll and Hyde moment for the first halves. You know, we saw the best of what Chelsea had to offer outside of an end product in the first half, and then we saw the worst of what happens when this team, uh, has to face through some some adversity against and and, and really didn't show up for uh, the time after you know, even with our substitutes you know we've we've obviously praised Ruben Loftus Cheek a lot this you know season and you know he's you know kind of excelling and in, in coming into form didn't really change the game fully when he came on uh, you know same really with uh, with Giroud and then Cess for Jorginho was uh, you know not not great you know we started being dispossessed heavily. We started, uh, you know, Conte had, uh, you know, was not able to kind of cloak himself in glory either. And I think Keppa was the only one, Brandon, who really probably gets to stand with some head held high after this match.
0: Yep. And unfortunately that is all the time we have to go through this match. So I don't even get to talk about
1: Keppa, Man. Brandon, you can do whatever Uh, you want to talk about him. No,
0: no, here's the deal. We'll save it for a more important match. Um, But look, a, Brilliant footwork. He is, uh, yeah, he's so good to watch. I can't wait to see him live and in person. Anyways, Dan Dormer, let's move on to your man of the match poll for this one.
2: Well, uh, you'll you'll be happy. Uh, um, There were only two options, and uh, I couldn't include two Chelsea players for this because it was a loss. So uh, I included Kepa, who won with uh, 69% of the... Vote and then uh, you know I threw a little fun one in there for uh, Roy Hodgson <laughs> for beating Man City at at the Etihad, which is uh, a wonderful accomplishment and uh, maybe he takes the shine off our victory just a touch, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, thirty one percent for Roy. So uh, congratulations, Roy, for beating Man City, creating a bigger storyline than the Chelsea loss, so that we could really hide our bad business under the radar. Thank you for that.
0: More importantly, Andrews Townsend. What a hit, son. Oh, boy. What a hit. All right. So here is the table as it stands Liverpool still on top as of Christmas, through Christmas. 48 points. Dan Levine, I'm pretty sure I heard a stat that the last team to be on top of Christmas and not win the league was Liverpool.
3: <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> well,
0: <laughs> uh, let's see, 14 and whenever the last time they tried to make a title run. Yeah, apparently, allegedly, I'm not going to stand behind it. It's just, I don't know, if I were them, they're probably <laughs> still not super confident.
3: Yeah, I, I think an awful lot of Chelsea fans at the moment are very, very desperate for um, Pep Guardiola. In Manchester City to get a real run of points going. The very last thing that most uh, Chelsea fans want to see is Liverpool with their hands on that trophy.
0: Especially in the US because the majority of fans over here are Liverpool and United fans. So it's just,
3: it's it doesn't
0: make life any easier. Uh, City in second on 44 points after. The, that's two losses in the last three Premier League matches for them. That is unheard of under Pep. Uh, third is Spurs and they actually play tomorrow to later today so we don't have their uh points included but that wouldn't affect us either way Chelsea in fourth on 37 tied now on points with Arsenal who are in fifth thank you to our plus four goal difference United skyrocketing to sixth under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer after they demolished Cardiff uh, and then Watford-Bournemouth in 7th and 8th, respectively. So, look, it's still United on 29 points, Arsenal-Chelsea 37, Spurs 39, City 44, Liverpool 48. It is a three-horse race for the last two spots. It's going to be tight. Like, Chelsea can't afford to drop too many more matches like this this season and expect to get away with it. So, uh, as we talked about real briefly, uh, we will be heading to watford for another Premier League match on December 26th, right after Christmas. Is this the traditional Boxing Day match, Dan Levine?
3: Yeah, it is. Uh, and um, I think a lot of people maybe who, who don't have the familiarity with English sports um, will, will, will find uh, a bit of a surprise, you know, that this is a real part of the uh, English sporting calendar. It's not something that's done anywhere else in, in Europe. Uh, and it's a real thing of tradition. Back in the day... Of course, there used to be games on both Christmas Day and Boxing Day. If you go back to like the fifties and uh, and also before the war, and what what often used to be the case is that um, you'd have a a local derby on Christmas Day, the twenty fifth, and then the local derby the other way on the twenty sixth. So it was often there are a few seasons where you had Chelsea playing Fulham one day and then Fulham playing Chelsea the next day. Um Boxing Day, the trip to to uh what to uh, Watford is is uh pretty fortuitous as 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 fixtures go. If you've got to be away, it's not very far away. It's a nice easy trip to make. Uh the, the tube is running. So um we should have a, a good crowd there.
0: Uh, Mike, as Watford stand they just beat West Ham two nothing. Uh they beat Cardiff three two previously. Drew Everton lost to City, lost to Leicester. Uh, So as far as the form goes, Chelsea losing to Leicester, beating Brighton, beating City, losing to Wolves, beating Fulham. Uh, Look, it's Watford. It's another match like sorry said either they're going to bounce back in a good way or they're going to bounce back in a bad way
1: yeah you know i think we need to realize that teams are going to play very compact and we need to capitalize in that first 5 to 10 minutes to come out grab a goal and force them to play open football as opposed to letting them hang in matches looking for that one counter which you know lester got against us
0: d dormer my man you get the last word on this it's watford it's away I mean are you leaning towards happy or leaning towards nervous <laughs> you know
2: i generally think that when this team gets punched in the gun and we've had some pretty poor results that you know we do find a way to bounce back into form and, and regain our shape uh you know almost like a You know, one of those clowns that uh with the inflatable bottoms that you basically punch and it just, you know, it it goes backward, but then it pops right back up. And I I think that's the type of Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Um, I think it's gonna be that type of response. I think that you know, there there's enough of an edge to a few of these players. Not enough to for me. I I really wish there was just a a little bit more steel. But you think about a Rudiger, you think about a Louise and uh you know even someone like Giroud, who's you know the, the arsenal man brings a level of edge to this team that maybe it didn't have previously um there, there's just there, there's some level of fight there that i think is going to see this last loss at home and want to have a response to it so um you know I, I don't think you want to be the team playing chelsea after a loss i really don't you know i think it's the same way you know as a fan of the Patriots, uh, who unfortunately have now lost two Ooh. in a row. Um, yeah, you, you really don't like playing Tom Brady after a loss and you really don't like playing, uh, them after a, uh, a two game skid. So I think this is going to be a, a tougher game for Watford than they're probably anticipating, uh, after seeing how we played against Leicester.
0: I can only hope so. And that is what we, all of us as fans are hoping for and looking forward to. So anyways, uh, that'll wrap up this episode. Thank you, listeners, for sharing this post-match defeat with us. Hopefully, we're able to ask some questions to keep the conversation going, uh, to maybe give you some answers, even though we claim to not be the ones who know what to do. Anyways, Dan Levine, it was an absolute pleasure to have you back. We are so excited to see you again, as we've mentioned multiple times. Um, but yes, thank you for spending part of your Sunday with us.
3: Cheers. As I say, always great to be here and looking forward to meeting you when you, you come over the, uh, the pond very shortly.
0: Awesome. So, so gracious and appreciate you putting up all those decorations for us. That is really, really
2: just too kind of you all. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and happy uh, happy holidays, to all of our listeners. Yeah. You know, for, absolutely, uh, getting to spend the time with your your loved ones, and uh, you know, if that includes us in some capacity, uh, we we are greatly uh, we greatly appreciate that.
0: Tis the season, everyone. So we appreciate all of you. Thank you so much. And uh, if we don't talk to you for the new year, cheers. And until next time, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.